What's going on, everyone? It's Wednesday. You're listening to The Hustle Daily Show. I'm Zachary Crockett. I'm Mark Dent. And we're going to be talking about the relationship of time and work and why we perhaps need to separate the two. Why we perhaps need to live in a world where the only answer to how many hours do you work is I have no idea. So Mark, right off the top here, we should probably say we're talking about a certain type of worker when we talk about the time versus task debate, right? Yeah, we're, we're largely talking about information economy workers and not necessarily, for instance, people who work at Amazon warehouses. Because mm-hmm. if you start thinking, oh, let's forget about ours there, then we could be all of a sudden in this very, very much kind of hellscape of a world. Right. And we just lose all sense of, of, of fair compensation. Right. We're, we're talking more about information economy jobs. But the interesting thing is that right now, these information economy jobs, if you will, or white collar jobs, which I think is an interchangeable term. If you look at census figures about 100 years ago, those were only about 8% of jobs. Now it's closer to 50%. Hmm. So more or less the majority of people in America have a job that could be considered somewhere in professional services, government, finance, education, et cetera. So it wasn't always this way. Like there was a time in history where the 40-hour work week made sense for most Americans. And I think, as you wrote, the 40-hour work week was rooted in legislation that was trying to do a good thing. Post-industrial revolution, you know, the New Deal comes along and they established the Fair Labor Standards Act. And at the time, it was kind of a huge victory for reformers and labor unions. And they had been fighting for a long time to ensure better wages. And this was putting a cap on it and putting a figure on it was a good thing at the time. Yeah, it was you're exactly right. I mean, it was a great thing because there were jobs back, you know, 130 years ago at, at the turn of the 20th century where people were having to work 6 days, 7 days a week and right. and sometimes 10, 11, 12 hours a day and and obviously some of them were children for that matter as well. Right. And so this was it, it ended up passing around the 1930s and it was part of, you know, the new deal. Like it was it was that kind of era of government of where they tried to really like clean out some of the problems that America had been having. And Mm. it made a lot more sense because, as I was just mentioning earlier, we didn't have so many of these like white-collar jobs back then. And in fact, manufacturing jobs then were roughly one-third of of all jobs in the United States. And now that's down to about 8%. And for jobs like that, uh, measuring by the clock is oftentimes the only way that makes sense. That's in no small part because of the way that work goes. When you think of like cars, for instance, the assembly line. Mm. Each person has to do a certain thing, and you are totally dependent on what the person does before you. So even if you're like the fastest person at like assembling doors, if the person who has to put the window on that door is slower, then it's going to affect you. And, and so you're just, you're constantly dependent on what the other person is doing. So we see this like huge dual shift happening where manufacturing jobs just decline tremendously, but at the same time, white collar jobs you know, professional services, government, finance, education, et cetera, they go way up. And according to the experts you talk to for this story, in much of the work we do today, time is, time is kind of irrelevant now as a measurement, right? Yeah, I mean, if anything, it's 
what wouldn't you want it to just get done? Like, like think about mm. it if you hire an accounting firm to do something for your company. All that matters is that by the date that you set, it's done. Uh, what does it matter if the accountant spent four hours working on it, 40 or 80 or, or 100? Like, as long as it's done and it's good is really mm. the only thing that is significant uh, for much of the work that we're doing. And when we're talking about this kind of big decline in manufacturing jobs and this rise of white collar jobs, is there some kind of theory as to what drove that trend? Even though we had jobs where time didn't matter, time almost became more important. College-educated people in white-collar jobs were like, let's just start working more. Hmm. And it was in no small part because they believed they would be compensated more. It just became this thing, be at your desk for a long time and you'll get paid. Sure. Okay. So from 1980 through the early 2000s, we see a rise in college-educated, mostly college-educated men working these white-collar jobs, driving up into the 50-hour or more range per week. And obviously, we also see these trends of kind of celebrity CEOs bragging about killing themselves with, with hours at work and sleeping under their desks. Yeah, it was just like this. It became a cultural thing, really, like the whole essence of time, like because time did not matter, like as we were just discussing, <laughs> for almost any mm -hmm. jobs. And in these jobs where it mattered the least is when people started to care about it the most, which is just, mm. it makes, it's so contradictory. But yeah, like you were saying there, like there was like a study that basically showed the share of people working 50 hours or more per week mm -hmm. rose from 1980 to the early 2000s. And that was after decades of that number had been declining, thanks to mm. some of those gains from, you know, unions and things like that. Mm. But why was it going up? It was because people were rewarded for it. There was no connection to necessarily productivity, but it was just seeing someone at their desk in their office for a lot of hours could help lead people to higher salaries and you know better job opportunities and the sense of promotions. Yeah, a lot of listeners might be able to relate to that. I, many of us started out our first job and we looked for a way to prove ourselves early on. And oftentimes it wasn't through some creative solution to a problem or something else. It was, like you said, just sitting at your desk hour after hour, kind of virtue signaling to the rest of the office that you were a hard worker merely by your dedication to time itself. And even like for people who didn't work the 60 hour weeks, you were still had to be glued to your desk at a certain time. Like there was, there was a certain element of work in these sort of white collar jobs that is like babysitting almost like the manager just watches you and and mm. makes sure that you're there they assume if you're there and you're spending time doing something then it's good or at wow. least makes it look good for the manager so the fair labor standards act passes in the early parts of the 20th century we see a decline in the number of hours and then in the 80s to the 2000s it kind of creeps back up again we have record numbers of people reporting 50-hour work weeks. And now we're kind of in this, this correction stage where we're starting to question again how many hours we should be working. A number of studies have shown that we only really have a capacity to work a certain amount of hours per week, right? And these studies have been done for decades, and they've done them both for people in more blue-collar type of jobs and in white-collar jobs. And, and they've found that the average person probably peaks somewhere around 45 hours a week, maybe 50 at the most. Mm -hmm. And anything beyond that, there's 
a decline in productivity. So you're not as good if you're working 40 hours already and it's Thursday, then come Friday, then you're probably not going to be nearly as productive as you were the day before. Mm. And the same is true also just on, on a daily basis. So we have seen, as you mentioned earlier, there are new movements to change this. Iceland famously changed a lot of their work weeks to 35 hours over the last couple of years. What have the results of that been? Well, they've found more productivity. Wow. And then, of course, just people are happier about it, which I, I think is very well expected. But they also found more productivity. So it's like it's both good for companies and good for people. And it's also become somewhat of a trend in tech. Like as uh, we just kind of reported in our newsletter recently, Bolt, an e-commerce company, has initiated a four-day work week, and they've found the mm. same. Uh, work-life balance has gone up and people are still just as productive. And apparently Bolt measures productivity in a pretty scientific way. So they're not just kind of spitballing here. Like they're actually really measuring it. Even in the Fortune 500 sector, there is one very well-known example. Another instance of someone experimenting on a larger scale with a task-based workforce yeah, and this is, uh, to me, this is like the ultimate of why it's like the example that Iceland is showing and that Bolt and some other tech companies are showing of like reducing the work week is good, but Best Buy is the company you're talking about there. And they have done it in the way that kind of really gets to like the whole thesis of, of what I kind of wrote about, which is forget time basically at all and focus on results. And they call it the results-only work environment. And it was started just by a couple of HR employees there. They were not executives or you know really high-level managers or anything like that, but they were HR people. And Jody Thompson was one of them. And, and I talked to her and it, it just almost kind of like cracked me up in our interview <laughs> because she was explaining what their work situation was like. And and remember, this is Best Buy, like a, you know, a, a big company. And especially back in the early to mid-2000s when this was happening, even bigger. And she was so afraid to like leave the office at like five o'clock. Like when she did, when she had nothing left to do, she would leave her coat there to make it seem like she had just gone to another room to like get a coffee or something. So people would think she's still working. And, and she just thought this was so ridiculous because it was. And so she and another HR employee just kind of had this grassroots movement to switch to results only. And soon enough, Best Buy adopted it. And you had wow. most of the people who were working in their sort of corporate jobs, and not so much the people who you'd see at the store, like on the Geek Squad or, or anything like that, who were working wherever they wanted, whenever they wanted. And wow. it was just fascinating. Like, you know, now that the pandemic has happened and remote work's become a little more common, we we sometimes think of people on the golf course going to a meeting <laughs> or whatever, but that's what these people were doing. Like they were hunting wow. and going on conference calls. They would they would be sometimes like an employee would be at the office and he'd be like, hey, do you want to go see a movie to someone in the afternoon? And it was totally fine. Wow. And no one frowned upon it. And their productivity increased by 41%. 41%. 41%. And I think the more interesting thing is that Best Buy had a lot of trouble with turnover before this. Like, you know, because Best Buy was kind of already starting to fall out of favor and you know, there were a lot bigger corporations that were starting to take up space in that industry. And employee turnover was drastically reduced. Like they they saved wow. a lot of time and money 
by hanging on to their employees. That's nuts. Were, were there other ancillary benefits to this too? Yeah, I mean, like best of all, a study by the University of Minnesota showed that the workers were sleeping more and they were less likely to come to work sick and they had fewer work family conflicts. So they they, they were <laughs> like everything. It, it sounds utopian and, right. you know, obviously it's, I'm sure there were some flaws to it, but the the company got better and people got better. And then of course the plug was pulled eventually. Mm-hmm. Not as quite as dramatic as the Best Buy example, but many, many, many jobs in the tech sector today have very flexible work schedules, especially those of us who work from home. We, ha- we do have a lot of autonomy. We also have accountability to kind of set our own schedules, get our work done. I guess in these types of situations, a lot of times people end up working more. It's kind of a, a weird irony to a task-based situation. And that's certainly what happened with some people at Best Buy, for instance. Some people did work more, and they chose to do that, though. And and I think that's the difference. Like, when you take away time, you just feel like you have to get things done. And so what do you need to do to either get something done, like, like, okay, that's it, I'm done for the day, or, like, what inside of you makes you feel like you want to get something done? And so when I talk to a lot of these experts, you know, including Stanford economists and super smart people mm-hmm. who are super accomplished. And I, I kind of asked them, like, so how do you measure your work? Or, you know, how many hours do you work each week? And and they kind of all gave me, like, slightly different answers. But generally, they all worked more than the 40 hours. Mm-hmm. But they did that because they like their job. And they have, like, some sort of, you know, need to, like, go beyond. But it's personally driven. And the results-only work environment that that Best Buy had, like the kind of key faucets of it, that this is going to sound incredibly corny, and it, and it kind of <laughs> is. But like as as Jody Thompson told me, it's accountability and autonomy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what are you accountable for? And then go and do it. And some people, I think, feel maybe too accountable to their company, and then they work too many hours. And I think that could be the issue with this kind of like task-based work style. But if you just feel like accountable to yourself and want to just work a lot, then I don't think that's necessarily a negative thing if if you can do it and then balance the rest of your life. Hmm. And if we've removed time from the equation, then that is what we're sort of talking about. So sadly though, ultimately the head was cut off of this beautiful beast um, at Best Buy, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. It was Best Buy was started going through some some difficulties, uh, mm-hmm. and then the financial crisis kicked in because this was all in like the mid two thousands, and I think around you know ten or eleven years ago they hired a new CEO, and he said you know I mean there was like some sort of quote from their like you know communications PR staff that was basically like I'm going to look it up here okay yeah a spokesperson for Best Buy said workers needed to be quote all hands on deck which means quote having employees in the office as much as possible. Hmm. So they just reverted back to like, you must not be working very hard if you're not in the office from eight o'clock to six o'clock or whatever. Yeah, we've kind of seen that same sentiment echoed a lot during the pandemic from a lot of big tech companies too. Oh yeah, Tim Cook, Jamie Dimon, they've all kind of, after like the first year of the pandemic, good Lord, I mean, (laughs) it just sounds weird to say that, but, uh, and now two years, uh, they were like, okay, all right, guys, time to get back to business. Let's, let's get back to the office. Of course, some of those plans have been changed because of the new waves of coronavirus and everything. But it's nevertheless, that same sort of thought that you have to be on a clock. Hmm. 
you know, one one person who I talked to, Joan Williams is her name, and uh, she was particularly perturbed by what like Jamie Dimon and, and Tim Cook have said because mm. there's such a difference in like the lives that these like millionaire CEOs live versus even their executives below them and VPs and then certainly regular workers. They have to worry about childcare and elder care. Whereas like if you're like, you know, a multimillionaire, everything is essentially just like on a platter for you. And your spouse most likely doesn't work. Uh, that's the case for a lot of these people. And so they picture this life of where, mm. oh, what do you mean you have these conflicts? Can't your spouse just, you know, pick up the kids or right. can't somebody do this for you? And it, they don't have a sense of reality of of what it's actually like to have to balance your work and your life. There is kind of a disconnect for a lot of managers and executives when it comes to thinking about measuring work by task, just because their contributions, and I'm not downplaying their contributions, but they are much more nebulous. It's hard to measure much of what they do. So it just it seems a little harder for them to, to wrap their head around the concept of, of measuring their own jobs by task rather than by time. Arguably, they have the most kind of changes in store. <laughs> like when mm-hmm. a company truly like buys in to task instead of time, all of a sudden, like their role of uh, making sure everybody else is working, it just gets a little fuzzier. And and we've, of course, seen that during the pandemic where managers have had somewhat of, you know, <laughs> you know, somewhat of an existential crisis of like when all your workers are away in their houses on Zoom, it's mm-hmm. just kind of like, what do I do? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we've been talking a lot about information economy jobs. And I know when I started working on this story, Zach, that you were you were kind of skeptical about how it would work for a lot of jobs. And, and so was I. And so I started asking some of these people I interviewed uh, just for like examples of like, you know, something outside of just like a software engineer or something sure. like that who could go by this. And I, I talked to John Penkovel, who's uh, that economist from Stanford I was mentioning. He's written a lot of studies about task versus time. And he is fully of the opinion that time is probably one of the worst ways that you could measure output ever. <laughs> but he also thinks there's not a whole lot of better alternatives. And he brought up to me this situation where he had just been to the doctor and, you know, <laughs> said it was just kind of like, you know, the doctor checked here, checked there, and said, come back again and spend some money, blah, blah, blah. It was just the usual trip to the doctor. And he goes, how, how would you measure someone who has that job other than by time? Like how, what would it be other than just saying, okay, that person should work from like nine to five or sure. nine to six or something like that? Yeah. What do you think about that? If you're measured by time, there's a cap. And when you reach that cap, it's kind of up to you, whatever you want to get done within that 40 hours or whatever. If you're measured by task, my fear is just like, as soon as you get the task done, you know, the flagpole is going to be moved somewhere else. And you're just going to endlessly be stuck in this loop of managerial demands. And they're just going to constantly be raising the bar and trying to get you to do more and more stuff each time you complete something. It just has to depend so much on whether the company really buys in, whether the management really buys in. So they don't just say like, oh, okay, you're done with all your work, then here's a here's more. But I, I think done right, though, it really can unlock that sort of like a really productive person can just get their stuff done and then stop. Or maybe if that person like wants to be the next Elon Musk or something like that, then that person can be like, I'm going to just go and go and go 
but that's a personal decision they make instead of just being like, I'm doing it for the team. I'm doing it for the yeah. company. You're doing it for yourself. I don't know, man. Call me a cynic, but I'm still a little skeptical about, in my experience, like the more you do and the better job you do at doing it, the more you're asked to do. So it's kind of this, this weird paradox where like the better you are at your job and the harder you work, the more you are asked to take on. And it just seems like, I think a lot of managers, their impulse is to take advantage of their best workers and get more output from them. And I guess when your role is more nebulously defined and measured by the task, it just opens up the door for them to kind of take more advantage of you as an, as an employee. I know work is never this clear cut, but you you have X number of things that you need to get done to get like a good evaluation on your annual review or monthly review or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you can work anywhere you want, whenever you want, what if you're like the smartest person at the company and you finish everything you need to do within one week that's supposed to take a month? Like you're, as it worked with Best Buy, the boss wouldn't even know if it took you what you were doing for the ne- those next three weeks. Like, it, it wouldn't matter. I, so that's how it ideally should work. And, and clearly there's some fear. And to kind of go back to what I was saying about this sort of doctor, mm-hmm. I think this kind of maybe gets at somewhat of your fear, uh, Zach, also. Because I put that same question to Tammy Erickson, who is a consultant, uh, writes for places like the Harvard Business Review and, and things like that. And she is like uh, the ultimate evangelist of, of task-based <laughs> work, I would say. So I brought the same question that John Penkovel had kind of posed to me and, and said, look, there's no way you can really do that besides time. And immediately, Tammy Erickson had an answer, which was, well, what if that doctor, instead of taking 45 minutes on a patient, gets the same quality of stuff done in 10 minutes? Hmm. And then that person could either be done with all their patients by noon, or they could see a lot more. And I think that's kind of like what you were talking about that, that is kind of the drawback because mm-hmm. if there's some super doctor who can do an excellent job on a patient in 10 or 15 minutes, then they will probably just be asked to take more and more and more hmm. and still be there all day. Probably. Do, you, do you think that's realistic? Let's stick with the doctor example. Our listeners can draw larger conclusions from that a specific example. But, you know, if, if it takes a doctor 45 minutes on average to see a patient and give good care, how can that doctor expedite his services and reduce his, his time to 10 minutes per patient and give them the same quality of care and attention? I, I just, it, it seems like a very, very optimistic vision. Right, no, it is. But I, I think though that at every company, you know, whether it's, medical or go back into more information jobs, software engineering, there are often some people who just get done with their work faster. Like they Mm -hmm. can just do it faster than others and at still a high quality. And so I don't know if there is obviously a super doctor who can, you know, do a really good job. And and most importantly, right, if you're a doctor is to make sure your patient feels good and that they're happy with the visit. And if, if you could really do that in 10 minutes, I don't know. But I, I think that it is. I, I think that there are people at every workplace, maybe not all people, but frankly a lot, who have to kind of just mail it in, if right. you will, because they've they've done everything they need to do and they still feel like they have to either have their like blinker on on Slack or mm-hmm. you know be present at the office during certain hours. But I do see your fear, uh, and I think that applies to everything, whether it's these information economy jobs or even you know people like doctors where you could have 
you know, endless mountain of work, or maybe you'd have too many people trying to cut corners and not do a good enough job. But in that case, it would show. And then you would, you know, either be in trouble with your boss or as a doctor, your patients would like rebel against you and they wouldn't want to see you anymore. Okay. So researchers have actually come up with a term to describe someone who really flourishes in the workplace by putting in time, right? Yeah. And so that's like the ideal worker. And it was coined by Joan Williams, who's a uh, professor at UC Hastings. And she has, you know, studied the workplace for, for decades. And this whole rise of people putting in long hours, always being available, if you will, always being on the clock. Like I think people always talk about, they always feel like they're on, right? It's, it's all kind of traced to pleasing a manager who mm-hmm. sees the ideal worker as somebody who is just always there, whether it's in the office, on the clock, et cetera. And the issue with the ideal worker was that it basically excluded women and anyone really who had any caretaking duties, people who had to be there for their kids or their parents or any sort of family members or even just someone who wanted to have like a lot of friends where you were basically excluded because the ideal worker is who got the higher salaries and who went up to these kind of like executive level positions. And then once those people were at the executive level positions, then they'd want the people below them to act the same way, et cetera. And it was just this endless sort of cycle. Sure. And so by kind of pivoting to thinking more about results and tasks and this sort of, as I was saying earlier, autonomy and accountability as the best buy leaders were preaching, we can get away from that because they're, is freedom, right? When when you separate time, then you kind of have the freedom to decide like, okay, this is how much work I need to do and this is when I'm going to do it, where I'm going to do it, etc. And you can actually kind of get away. You don't have to be the ideal worker anymore. Mm. So let me ask you this. What do you think the ideal worker looks like today? And is it time to re-question or reconfigure our notion of what an ideal worker is? I mean, it, it absolutely is. I, I think that the ideal worker, unfortunately, kind of still is what Joan Williams kind of defined it as, you know, many years ago, which is the person who is, you know, working long hours and is in an office as, you know, as, uh, you know, Jamie Dimon said, like, you got to be at the office and those investment banker types. And I still think that's what is in our mind. And we we just still think, hey, like, I'm being productive because I'm working a lot of hours that's a thought that regular workers have and that managers have. But I think the ideal worker should be someone who works when they need to work, enough to get something done, enough to please them, to feel like they have proven themselves in their work while being able to balance that with picking up their kids from school or taking care of their elderly parents. So I think it's someone who just has this sort of balance worked out in a way that is good for them, but still, you know, still getting things done. Like, I, I don't want to just say we need to have this utopia. People can do whatever they want, you know, when they want. Like, I, I still think it's good that people be held accountable for the work they need to do. But once that is met, once those obligations are met, it shouldn't matter. The ideal worker should just be someone who, who, uh, for lack of a better word, gets done and, and then they can kind of live their life as they want to. 
All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the Hustle Daily Show. I'm Zachary Crockett. Thanks to Mark Dent. And also big thanks to Darren Clark, our producer. And for more on the Hustle's tech and business coverage, you can check out our newsletter at thehustle.co. We'll catch you all tomorrow.